May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I got two calls, two phone calls yesterday <clears throat> that have something in common. One was from a, a very respected man in the middle of America who was, uh, he and his partner had raised up a synagogue in a large city, uh, and it was a uh, multi-million dollar building and raised the money for it, totally paid it off, and then he was ready to retire, uh, he and his wife, and the fellow they turned the synagogue over to got very strange with it. And uh, uh, now, my, and he left, and he uh, sued this guy who turned over his pride and joy to him. And he's a very godly man. And now he and his wife, instead of being retired, are trying to keep the congregation afloat. So these were people going through an ordeal. And then the other call was uh, when Sean, in his very competent capacity, informed us that Cheryl Bernard, Ron's daughter, had phoned the office about Ron, I had a conversation with her. That's another person undergoing an ordeal. Uh, and I was thinking as I was driving here today, uh, we perhaps ought to make a, a distinction between ordeals and crises. A crisis is a situation that is very, uh, that, that is very stressful to us, but I think an ordeal is something which is not only stressful to us, but it also has some kind of a purpose behind it. It's a, uh, and we're going to see something about that. And we're going to be looking today about the ordeals that Joseph went through, the ordeals that his brothers went through, and the ordeals that we go through. The story of Joseph and his brothers is a very today story. It's utterly contemporary. It's a story about immigrants and rulers, about foreigners crossing borders to experience mercy in times of economic distress. It might as well be on the front page of the Los Angeles Times. It's interesting. The story of Joseph and his brothers is not only contemporary, it's also timeless. It's a story that is always fresh, speaking deeply to family relationships and injustice, forgiveness, the human condition, and the sovereignty of God. I almost wept with that story this morning. This story, this story never ceases to move me to the depths of my being. It's a timeless story. But it's not only contemporary, it's not only timeless, it's also uh, universal because it teaches all of us much about the ways of God with humankind, how he interacts with us, how he arranges the circumstances of our lives, how we should interpret and respond to his ways. At the heart of the story is are two ordeals, Joseph's ordeal and his family's ordeal. But what is an ordeal? An ordeal is anything which tests our character 
and our endurance. Today we'll be looking at ordeals, tests of character and endurance in three areas, as I told you before, those of Joseph, those of his brothers, and his father, as a matter of fact, and our own. So let's look first at Joseph's life, and I'm not going to retell the whole story, although it's a story that's worth reading in its entirety uh, with the television off, uh, and it'll get you. He's a child of Jacob, one of Jacob's 12 sons, and he's a child of Jacob and Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. Rachel dies giving birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, especially by the brothers who were the children of Leah, who was Rachel's sister. And Leah was kind of second best to Jacob, and her sons were not happy about Jacob and uh, being the child of the of the more uh, attractive sister, and they didn't like jo- uh, Joseph at all. They sold him into slavery. He's 17 years old. When he gets down to Egypt, God gives him favor wherever he goes, but he ends up getting framed on a rape charge by the wife of his boss, Potiphar, the, uh, the, the captain of, the, of, of, of Pharaoh's uh, guard, and she frames him on a rape charge, and Joseph ends up in a filthy, rotten Egyptian prison. Eventually, he gets out, and he becomes uh, the second in command to Pharaoh. By this time, he's 30 years old, so... He, think about it, think about it. Don't let these numbers be nothing to you. He's a teenager when he's sold into slavery by his own brothers. Then he's a slave in Egypt for a while, maybe a couple of years. He gets framed on this charge, and he spends the next 10, 11 years or so in prison. And while he's there, he interprets dreams for Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, who had been sent down there because they had somehow offended Pharaoh, and uh, he, uh, uh, he interprets their dreams for them. And he says, look, do me a favor. When you get out of here, remember me to Pharaoh, because I'm down here and I didn't do anything. But they, the text says, but they didn't remember. They forgot him. So the poor guy spends another two years in this prison. Let's look for a moment at the tests of, uh, of character of Joseph's brothers. And of course, Joseph gets out. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. As you know, Pharaoh puts him in charge of a, of a huge a food program to save not only Egypt, but the whole Fertile Crescent. Now let's look uh, looking in chapter 42. The f- Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt because there's a famine in the whole area. There's nothing to eat. They come down to Egypt. They've heard that there's food in Egypt. And uh, Joseph puts his brothers through an ordeal. He requires, uh, he, uh, he says, you guys have come down here to spy, spy on us. You say you came here for food, but you came down to spy on us. They don't recognize him. You've got to realize he's, uh, he's about 39 years old now. They haven't seen him since he was 17. He's not wearing a beard. He's dressed in full Egyptian royal regalia. 
He's clean shaven, as I said. Uh, he's speaking to them. He doesn't even talk to them directly. He talks to them through an interpreter as though he doesn't understand Hebrew. <laughs> he, and he speaks Egyptian. And this is a very powerful dude. And they're scared to death. He says, you guys are, you guys are spies. They say, we're not spies. He says, I'll tell you what. You, you mentioned you have a younger brother. Uh, just to make sure you're not lying to me, you go back to your father you told me about, this old man, allegedly, up there in Canaan, and you come back and bring your brother. Meanwhile, uh, I'm going to keep your other brother here, Simeon. I'm going to keep him as a, as a hostage. Crisis. Big crisis. Here's what the text says. Then they said to one another, Indeed, we are guilty concerning our brother, Joseph, inasmuch as we saw his heartfelt anguish, and when he pleaded with us, we paid no heed. This is why this anguish has come upon us. Reuben spoke to them. He said, Didn't I speak to you saying, Do not sin against the boy? But you would not listen. And his, and his blood is upon us. It's being avenged. And uh, at this point, as you saw in the picture I had at the beginning of this, Joseph goes off to the side and he weeps. He, he cries five times in this story. Uh, it's uh, Sometime I'm going to, if I live long enough, I hope to preach a sermon called jo Joseph's Tears. Five times he cries. Later when they're on the road, uh, he sends them back. And to go get their brother Benjamin. Don't come back here unless you bring that kid with you. And they're on their way back, and they find their money is back in their sacks. The money they use to pay for the food is in the sacks. Uh, and they turn to one another and say, Mazot asa Elohim lanu. Elohim lanu. What is this that God has done to us? So this is a particular kind of ordeal, and I'll talk about this in a minute. But they, they feel that God is judging them for what they did to their brother. That's their reflex. Later in the Parsha, when they've already returned to Canaan, uh, uh, the, they run out of food. They, everything they brought back, it, it runs out eventually. And their father says, okay, go down to Egypt, get some more food. They say, we can't do that. Because the man said, you'll not see my face again unless you bring your brother with you, your younger brother you told me about. And Jacob says, why did you tell him that you had a younger brother? Look what you're doing to me. Uh, but finally, and, uh, and he delays, and they're starving, and finally he acquiesces, and he gives them a lot of pistachio nuts and various things from Canaan to take as, a, as, a, as an offering, as a, not a bribe exactly. You can't bribe somebody who's got all the money in the world, but as, as a sign of good intention. So they come back to Egypt, and they bring Benjamin with them again, and again... Uh, and and uh, uh, hold on a second. I'm sorry. They bring Benjamin with them again, and uh, and uh, uh, then they're on their way back to Canaan. Uh, uh, Joseph is placated that he sees Benjamin. He ends up feeding Benjamin like his like it's his last meal on earth. He feeds them all. Joseph seats them all in age order. And they're amazed. How does he know? How does how does this how does this goy 
know our, our age order, all 12 of us. And he ends up giving Benjamin uh, five times as much food, and he gives him a bunch of garments. He's really taking good care of them. Then they're on their way back, and they check in their bags on, on their camels and their donkeys. Again, they find their money there again. And uh, they're apprehended by one of Joseph's officers who says, you stole a, gar a, a goblet, a silver goblet from my master, from my master, who's not known as Joseph. He's called Zaphonath Paneach. Tzaphanach Paneach. He said, you stole a goblet from Tzaphanach Paneach, my, my master. And they said, we didn't steal anything. Look, if, this, if that goblet is found in anybody's bags, you can, you can take that person's life. And they go, they go through all of the bags, and when they finally get to Benjamin's bag, there it is. And they go back. What a crisis. And they plead, as we saw in the reading this, this morning, they plead. Uh, Judah pleads. He's, he, uh, he, he pleads with Tzaphanach uh, Paneach to please have mercy on him because we got this old man back there. If we go back and we and we tell him that that uh, that uh, we had to leave Benjamin here, it'll kill him. And that's very interesting, you know, because they didn't care way back 22 years earlier when. They, uh, they uh, sold their brother into slavery. They went back to their old man with his garment soaked in goat's blood uh, as though Joseph had been killed. They didn't care at that time about the grief that they caused their father. But now they've changed. Jacob cries again. Uh, Joseph cries again. The test challenges us to realize that while it is Joseph who is putting them through these ordeals, God is also in it. We see that later in the account when after Joseph reveals himself to them, they're terrified about the prospect of his wrath. And he says, I am Yosef, your brother. Oh, this is an incredible moment. He speaks to them now in Hebrew. Wouldn't you want to be a fly on that Egyptian wall? He speaks to them in Hebrew. He says, I am your safe, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't be sad that you sold me into slavery here or be angry with yourselves because it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve life. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. This is my favorite sentence. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Did his brothers send him to Egypt? Yes, they did. But did God send them to Egypt? Yes, he did. So we see in this story, I'm going to share with you five different kinds of ordeals. We see three here. And it's important to pay attention because you're going to encounter these kinds of ordeals in your own life. You already have. The first kind of an ordeal is an ordeal of punishment. The brothers believe that God is punishing them through their misfortune. I'll ask you, does God ever punish his people? Some of you, your reflex will say, oh, no, no, no. But he does. If the Bible means anything at all by what it says, and if the prophets reveal anything at all about the ways of God, we must answer this question, yes, yes, he does. 
At times, God does put his people through an ordeal as a means of punishment. We read this all over the Bible. So, for example, in Jeremiah chapter 6, let me read you a bit, beginning in verse 13. From the least of them to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound, that is, the leaders, the prophets and priests, have healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. Uh, 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 for at, at the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord, at the time when I punish them. God does, at times, punish us, his people. A second, and, and Joseph's brothers, that's, that's what they're keyed into because of their guilty conscience. They, they feel God is punishing us, God is punishing us. There's a second purpose, which is the purpose that Joseph has for his brothers. It's not punishment, it's purification. They do get purified, don't they? Because now they're grief-stricken that they're going to hurt their father's heart. They're, they're, they're changed. And God sometimes puts us through an ordeal to change us. Why did Joseph put his brothers through the ordeal? Was he trying to get even? No. Five times in our story, as I said, Joseph weeps. He weeps after the, he first sees them. He weeps when they come back and they're chatting away about why this is happening to them because of what they did to their brother. He weeps when he sees Benjamin. He weeps after he reveals himself to them. And finally, he weeps a long time when he sees his dad. He was 17 when he was sold to slavery. He's 41 when he first sees, actually, I was wrong. He's 40, let's see, 41? No, he's 39. Uh, he was 30 when he got out of prison. He says there's going to be seven years of plenty. That's 37. Then he says there's going to be seven years of famine. He sees his brothers after the first, so he's 30, uh, 38, 39, when he sees his brothers and he sees his father. With all of this weeping, Joseph is not taking revenge, not at all. He is seeking to move them to repentance, and it hurts him to do this. Does God put us through ordeals sometimes in order to purify us? Yes, he does. Aside from the constant reminders of the prophets, let me read you something from Hebrews 12 which mentions both of these kinds of, of pur purposes for ordeals, the idea of punishment and also the idea of purification. I'm reading from um, Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, <clears throat> let us uh, get rid of every weight and entangling sin. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's something we have to endure. A, t a race is a, is a test of, of, of our endurance. Focusing on Yeshua, the initiator and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There it is, another test of endurance. He endured the cross, 
disregarding its shame, and he's taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, again, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. It was a test of his character. Would Yeshua refuse to go to the cross? Would he sin against God with his lips when he endured such hostility of sinners against himself? No, he did not. He passed the test. And you should consider him so that you will not grow weary in your souls and lose heart. Verse 4, in struggling against sin, you have not resisted the point of bloodshed. Again, endurance. Have you forgotten the warning that God has addressed you as sons? And he says this, my son, do not take lightly the discipline of Adonai. This is another word for this kind of testing. Or lose heart when you are corrected by him. Because Adonai tests, he disciplines the one he loves, and punishes every son he accepts. There's both of them. He tests us uh, to purify us, and he punishes us in order to develop our character. So we see both the purifying of character through discipline and the ordeal as punishment. It is for discipline you need to endure. God is treating you as children. For what child does his father not discipline? And he goes on. You can read the rest of it yourself. I'm not going to read you more. It's a large passage. But Hebrews chapter 12 is all about ordeals, sometimes of punishment, sometimes of purification, tests of our character and our endurance. So, we talked about ordeals of punishment. We talked about ordeals of purification. God will put us through both of these when the occasion requires. The third is an ordeal of provision. Joseph reminds them that God was involved in the ordeal he experienced. He experienced a tremendous ordeal, being sold into slavery, being in prison for 10, 11 years, whatever it was, being apart from his family, uh, it's 22 years later when he is reunited with them. This is an ordeal. But he says, he reminds them that God was involved in the ordeal he experienced, but it was an ordeal with a purpose. In some manner, his suffering was intended by God as a means of provision for others. God sent me here to preserve life. It was a suffering. It was an ordeal with a purpose of provision. It was God who sent me ahead to, of you to preserve life, he says. The famine has been over the land for the last two years, and for yet another five years it will be no, neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to ensure that you will have descendants on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. It was not you who sent me here, but God. It is in Yeshua that we see this most clearly displayed. What did he suffer? Why did he suffer? Why did he go through that ordeal, that test of endurance and of character? It was not for his sake, but it was for our sake. He went through an ordeal so that we might benefit. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. So sometimes you may go through an ordeal which is for the benefit of others. Mothers do this universally. Giving birth, 
is a very painful ordeal. Taking care of children, all the grief, all the worry, all the disrupted lives, the whole, the whole disoriented life, all of it is an ordeal. But it's an ordeal with a purpose. It's an ordeal for the sake of others. And so we've seen now three kinds of ordeals. An ordeal of punishment, an ordeal of purification. This third is an ordeal of provision for others. There's two more kinds of ordeals. C.S. Lewis uh, talks about ordeals as a platform uh, uh, of life. Uh, the, he, uh, he says that the canvas of life has a certain regularity to it. It is not as though everything happens because it's an act of God or the devil. He says, in his book, Miracles, he says, in order to have miracles, you have to have a certain regularity of life that God interrupts at times with an intervention. But if everything is God's intervention, then there are no miracles. So life has a certain regularity. There's a certain grain of life. And, and uh, so ordeals happen. Sometimes bad things happen, and there's no real purpose for it. There's no punishment about it. There's no provision about it. It's just the way life is. Do you understand? In the story of Job, I love the book of Job. You ought to read it. It takes a bit, but it's a, it's a crucial book. It's a book at the heart of the Jewish experience. Why do the innocent suffer? All of Job's friends, they got it down. They say, you're suffering. Obviously, you must have sinned. Uh, they, they, they all give the, uh, the uh, shall I say, the respectable theological answer. You are suffering. Suffering is due to sin. Therefore, confess your sin and the suffering will be over. And they are all wrong. Sometimes bad things just happened. So if something, now something bad is going to happen to you from time to time. We all go through ordeals. Don't abuse yourself by, by assuming I must have done something bad for this to happen to me. Not necessarily so. Maybe, but probably not. Sometimes it has a purpose of provision, it has a purpose of purification, but sometimes stuff just happens. I want, uh, uh, when I get away from my notes, I get into dangerous territory. I want to talk about one more, one more kind of, of, uh, of um, ordeal. We've looked at ordeals as divine punishment, ordeals as purification, ordeals as provision for others, ordeals just because of the platform of life. Finally, there are ordeals that are due to the harassment of malevolent beings, people or spirit beings. Sometimes our ordeals are due to wicked people and wicked spirits. The Psalms are full of that. And yes, the forces of darkness get at us sometimes. So it's written in Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil a foothold. 
the, the, the force of darkness like to capitalize on our sins. And sometimes we get harassed by forces of darkness who have used our sins to gain leverage in our lives. Later, Paul will say, finally, chapter 6, grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you will be able to stand against all the deceptive tactics of the adversary. For we're not struggling against human beings. Sometimes we do. But we are struggling against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers governing the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And he goes on and tells us what to do. So that's the fifth kind of, of uh, suffering that we go to, that we go through. That is uh, due to malevolent people or malevolent spirits. But don't assume that that's always the way that it is. Some people have to have a grandiose explanation for everything. Sometimes you don't get a parking spot because you didn't get a parking spot. And sometimes you do get a parking spot, and it's not because God sent his angels to get you a parking spot. So let's be sane here, okay? Man, people are strange. So I want to give you three suggestions about dealing with your deals in your life, and I've given you five kinds. Number one, be sure that our deals will come into your life, whether as divine punishment, as occasions for purification, as opportunities to provide for others through the sufferings you endure, or as part of the normal stuff of life, or even as a form of harassment from those people you live next door to, that you work with, relatives even, and harassment from other kinds of beings, spirit beings, ordeals will come. There's no sense whining about it or thinking that somehow you have been singled out for misfortune. These things happen. Yeshua said, in the world, you shall have tribulation. He didn't say maybe. He said, you will. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Paul says, all who endeavor to live godly lives of Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. Some, no. A few, no. Maybe, no. All. Do not be surprised. Do not be unaware. And don't whine. Take up the weapons that God supplies and deal with it. You will have ordeals. We all do. Number two, be aware of how you create ordeals for other people. And be honest with yourself. Are you doing this for their benefit or for your own? I just went through an ordeal with my sister. Um, she had, uh, uh, she had um, uh, a minor surgical procedure, and I neglected to call her immediately thereafter. And boy, did I hear about it. She called me. She bawled me out and hung up on me. I don't like anger. I don't like people unleashing their anger on me at all. So I didn't speak to her for three weeks. Uh, I usually speak to her every weekend. I didn't call her, I didn't call her, and I didn't call her. I was putting her through an ordeal. 
But was that an ordeal for her benefit? Probably not. It was for my benefit. She had another cataract surgery uh, this last Tuesday, and today I called her. And she didn't mention the other thing, and we just moved on. Now, some of you, I don't know how many of you, maybe all of you, from time to time, you give people grief. You put people through ordeals because it makes you feel good, because you just don't care. But I want you to know that God does not think that's cute. So you got to ask yourself, do I put people through ordeals for my own satisfaction or for their good? That's a grown-up question. And fortunately, most of us here in this room are older than 20 years old. I know few of you are 20. I recognize that. 18, 17, I realize that. I'm senile. But, uh, um, uh, but ask yourself, am I putting this relative, this person, this friend, this acquaintance, am I putting them through an ordeal for my satisfaction or for their good? God does not like it when we mistreat people because it makes us feel good. So, change. Finally, in general, my friends, rejoice in tribulation. Even in the bad things of life, God is working out an eternal and good purpose. As I said before, in the world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. Paul says it this way. I love this. Romans 8, verse 18 says this. He says, quote, I don't think that the sufferings we're going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. He says, it's chump change. And he suffered a lot. He says, it's not even worth mentioning. It's chump change. It's temporary. We're headed for eternal bliss beyond all comparison. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We're, we're, we're going through temporary difficulties on the way to an, an unending bliss feast. So, remember that. Uh, rejoice in the midst of tribulation. It is still true that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But sometimes the path is hard. Let's deal with it. Let's, help, let's learn to help each other when the path is hard. Life is tough. Don't let anybody kid you. Let's learn to help each other. Let's not needlessly make things difficult for other people. Paul said it best. Bear one another's burdens. In this way, you will be fulfilling the Torah's true meaning, which the Messiah upholds. Shabbat Shalom.